And uh, so we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's going to be for the next four to five weeks, um, depending on how I feel personally, because I've been given the privilege of opening and maybe closing it. So four to five weeks. And the series that we're calling it is uh, Israelites. Isn't that great artwork? The Riker did that. Okay, so we're calling it Israelites. So the Israelites, Old Testament, were quite um, a major part of the Old Testament, right? They're God's chosen people, and, and so he set them apart. And he, he, in the Old Testament, he treated them as set apart. But the reason that we're going to talk about them is there's a relationship between God and the people of Israel, of, of the Bible, in the Old Testament. And it's quite an important relationship for us to look at and to study, right? Because an important thing to remember is though we have the Holy Spirit available to us now, we also share the same human nature that the Israelites had when they walked on the earth. And out of that human nature, sometimes we behave the same as they do. You know, like if you read the Bible, you go through Exodus and all that stuff, and, and you see some of the mistakes that they're making, and you think, well, that's silly, you know? Like, you guys are acting quite foolish, but if you really take a sober look at your life, and you, you dig down deep enough to, you know, to the places you may not like to look at, you'll realize that maybe sometimes you do the same things, and it looks different. Um, and I'm saying this is that not, we're, not, we're not being condemning. We're not trying to say, like, they sucked and we suck and K-bye, sermon's over. Like, that's not, that's not what it is. Is that sometimes we just need to take a sober look at ourselves. And, and it's important to learn from the mistakes of others and to see um, where that, what, what consequences the Israelites had, right? So that we may avoid some of them in our own life and what blessings they had because of some of the things that they did right. Um, <laughs> I'm sad to report today, we're not going over anything that they did right today, okay? <laughs> There's a funny saying like, um, this isn't to like cast a shadow over my whole sermon, but uh, one time, I don't know, I was feeling not great about myself, and I, I had done some not great things. And uh, I heard a saying, somebody said, you're not completely useless. And I thought, that's nice. And he said, <laughs> he said you, and I was like, something good is coming. He's like, you can always be used as a bad example. And I thought, ah. <laughs> it may feel a little like that today, but I'm going to try really hard not to, uh, to have it be that way. So as we're going through this entire series, it's really important that you take a look at yourself. Okay? Look at your life. You don't have to share with anybody. Look at the bad things and look at the good things. Oftentimes when you're sitting in the pew and you're listening to whoever's up here and the word of God is being brought forth and God's downloading things onto you, you think like, man, Tim could really use to hear this. Like, I hope, he, not you, Tim, another Tim. I hope that he's like really listening right now. Oh, I wish this person was here because this is exactly for them. Or... You're sitting next to your spouse and you do the nudge, you know what I mean, right? Or your partner, you're just like, hey, hey, did you hear what he said? Huh? What? Um, don't do that during the series. Look at your own life. It's not for them. It's for you. Capiche? 
Got it? Okay. Good. So today we're talking about provision, okay? Um, and, and we're kind of going to look at three different things. Uh, and, and these are kind of attitudes. First, we're going to look at the attitude of panic, okay? What panic does to us with our relationship with God, what panic did to the Israelites as they were in relationship with God. We're going to look at grumbling and gratitude, the effects of grumbling and gratitude, and then trust, right? Because it's all about trusting God, you know? And as, you know, as this new year approaches, what would your year look like? I think about this for myself. What would my year look like if I never panicked? For 2023, my resolution, don't panic, right? And I just made that now. That was not premeditated. What if I was able to fully encompass gratitude for my own life? And what if I fully trusted God in just whatever he decided, you know? Right? As a Christian, you give your life to Christ. As a verse in Paul, I'm just, he says that you're actually bound to him. So it means that when, you're, when you attach yourself to Christ, you give him your life and you, you're bound to him. If he leads you in places that do not feel good, you're bound. You have a responsibility to go there. You, you, you are a soldier in the army of God, and you go to where God calls you to go. And, um, you know, he's for us, right? Like you hear in the worship songs, like, you know, great is his faithfulness. God never fails. And it's true. But what if you live this next year out fully capable of trusting God, fully embodying gratitude for what is in your life, and fully putting panic and fear aside? What would you be like? What could you do? We're going to look at some of the examples of... Uh, when the Israelites didn't do this. And, uh, but before I get into it, I want to give a bit of a backstory. So we're going to be in Exodus all morning today. If you're online, all afternoon, all evening, okay? Um, and we're, so a little, a little recap. Joseph was uh, sold by his brothers into slavery, ends up in Egypt. God provides for him greatly in Egypt. He becomes second in command to Pharaoh. From that point on, the people Israel grow, grow in Egypt, like a crazy amount. By the time in Exodus, when they left Egypt, it said that there was about 2.4 million of them on average. They were a mass population in Egypt. And uh, as the Pharaohs moved on, eventually... One pharaoh decides that he's threatened and then by them, and, and then the Israelites find themselves in slavery to Egypt. They find themselves um, in a state of what we would refer to as total depravity. They are fully enslaved to the Egyptians, and they are unable to rescue themselves. They're unable to help themselves out of their own situation. They are completely, totally, and utterly depraved. Total depravity. And, um, and it's going to take miracles for them to be freed. So they're grumbling generation after generation. And, and, you know, they're in slavery, right? Like, it's not a good time. And God sees their pain, and he sees the turmoil and everything, and... Um, then he decides at some point, I'm sure there's a bunch of reasons beside, behind that decision, that he's going to free them out. And so he, he takes Moses, right, which had, uh, was, was uh, an Israelite, escaped Egypt because he killed a guy, you know, and, uh, and he's now tending sheep. 
and one of his sheep runs off, he follows after it, and he ends up with, uh, face to face with the burning bush. We all know Moses and the burning bush story. He ends up meeting God, and God is a burning bush, and the bush is not um, being affected by the flames. And uh, he says to them, he says to Moses, I'm gonna free Israel, and I'm gonna bring them to the land uh, that I gave to them. You know, the lands of the Philistines, Jebusites, Hittites, a bunch of other nations had encamped there right now. He says, I'm gonna give this land to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, which back then was a pretty good deal, you know? And it, it says this land is broad, and it abounds, and it's fertile, and you guys are gonna be able to live there and thrive there, and it'll be yours. And to somebody in slavery, you know, that's amazing. That's a goal. That's what you want. That's what you're daydreaming of while you're making bricks. And, uh, and he says, take this message and go to the Israelites. So that's what Moses does. He takes this message, and he goes to the Israelites. He comes in with a promise, and he goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, um, God had already told them some of the miracles that he would perform in order to help Israelite, or the Israel come out. But it took God and it took miracles for them to be freed. Um, some of those miracles were he turned the Nile River into blood. They said this was the blood of the slaves, the slaves passed, which would have been a devastating thing for Egypt because the Nile, you know, they depended on that. It was their water source. Next, it was the plagues of frogs or miracles of frogs, gnats, and flies. Now, I know that doesn't sound as like hardcore as uh, turning the Nile into blood, but if you've ever gone to Champion Lake <laughs> and been in a swarm of mosquitoes, you understand what a plague of flies could be like. We took the kids canoeing there one day and uh, you couldn't see any of these mosquitoes from inside the car. And we go, we go out of the car and they found us, like every one of those mosquitoes was on their last leg. And if they didn't get some blood right now, they're all gonna die. And so Kristen and I and the kids, we were swarmed. I think I had 100 on me at a time. I'm, you know, doing this. And we're like concerned for the kids, so we grab them, throw them back in the car. You know, the canoe's already kinda loose. And uh, we didn't even buckle them up. We just threw them in. We got in ourselves and just drove away as fast as we could from this swarm of mosquitoes. The kids had a good time because we told them, it's your job to kill everything in this car. And so they went around and they're just hunting, right? They're having a good time. And, it, it, and so plagues of frogs, gnats, and flies, it was bad enough to describe it as a plague. And every one of these plagues that they experienced interrupted the flow of an entire nation. Enough frogs, gnats, and flies to interrupt the flow of the entire nation. Next, the, all of the Egyptian livestock dies. Now, this stuff didn't just happen, and then Moses came to Pharaoh and said, ah, this is God doing this. He said that this would happen before it happened. So there was no questioning that it was, in fact, God bringing this forth. Plagues of boils, hail, locusts, darkness. You guys know that the plague of darkness, darkness fell on Egypt 
for three days, like whether just the sun stopped rotating or just a supernatural darkness came over Egypt, right? Three days there was darkness in the land of the Egyptians, so dark that they could not continue to live. And finally, the last plague where the Holy Spirit came down and um, the firstborns, males of all the Egyptians died. It took miracles to free them from slavery. And they were in a state of total depravity. And um, what I wanted to point out here is that it takes a miracle also to free us from slavery, right? Before you knew Christ, you were in a state of total depravity, unable to, by yourself, rescue yourself or fix your situation of sin. You were a slave to sin. This is the words of the Bible. Came God, uh, Jesus said that those who set free are free indeed, but there's something you needed to be freed from, a slave to sin. And um, I think sometimes in our culture, we don't recognize that as much because we are quite comfortable, right? And in our comfort, you don't recognize that, you know, you're, you're kind of in a jail cell. It's comfortable jail cell, the door's open, you know, but you're like, I don't have any real reason to leave. But comfort betrays eventually, right? Galatians 5, chapter 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again. Do not go back to the yoke of slavery. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin so that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. Um, It took a miracle, just like it did for the Israelites to be freed from their slavery. It takes a miracle for us to be freed from the slavery of sin. And, And the miracle, Jesus coming down from heaven, off of his throne, living a perfect life on earth, being the only one ever deserving of going to heaven, freely exchanging that for what I deserve. So that when God's justice looks at the cross, it sees me. And then when it looks at me, it sees Jesus. And that's nothing because of my own work. We too have been in a state of total depravity and sin and, um, and needed God's miraculous to, to, to free us. Moving on, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 uh, to 22. This is when the Israelites get to leave after all the plagues. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For he said, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. This is, this is um, sorry, I'm interrupting. Uh, when, when you think of this, what would it have been like if God could have led them through the Philistines? You know, it, they said, yes, they would have encountered war, 
but God never fails. You have his faithfulness and you have his goodness as his people. What if he were able to go through there? It sounds like it's a shortcut to me, although that was near, let's go through there. They wouldn't because he knew that they had not positioned themselves to trust God. They didn't fully embody that. And so here already, they're missing out on something, and we don't get to know what it is. What would year be like if you trusted God fully? Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. It was interesting to me reading this that they would be equipped for battle even though they wouldn't see war. And what I think was happening, if I exegete this correctly and I, and I you know, really get what it's actually saying, is I think that you think about the people of Israel under slavery, they were in a relationship being abused, right? They were being abused. And so when given the opportunity to go out and to experience liberation, as they're walking out of Egypt, I don't think they really could believe that this was really happening. And so they didn't, it says they didn't leave rejoicing. They left equipped for battle. Their guards were up, and they didn't really think it was going to happen. If you've ever been in a relationship where you're living on eggshells, you may be able to relate to this passage of how they were leaving. Equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And when they moved from Sukkoth, I think that's how you say that, and encamped in Etham, uh, on the edge of the wilderness, and then the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel, uh, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. As long as God was leading the Israelites, they had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, which is miraculous. They were following continuously by day and night these miraculous signs. They saw the miraculous signs that got them out of Egypt, right? And then they, they have miraculous signs that they follow every day, okay? And, and so when I'm talking about provision here, I know provision, we tend to think, oh, provide, financial, right? Provision financially. But when I'm, when I'm speaking provision here, I'm talking about provision for whatever situation it is that you find yourself in. Okay, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They go to the wilderness. And the wilderness is just generally, it's arid, it's dry, it's a wasteland, and there's hardship in the wilderness. These times find each one of us. God provides for your situation, no matter where your situation is. And he cares for you while you're there. Think about this. Where the Israelites are traveling is um, known today generally as the desert, the Negev is what they call it, right? And that desert says temperatures can range about as low as 4 degrees Celsius. We even, you guys remember when everything was shut down through COVID? You remember it snowed in Egypt, right? It even can, it get, it can get to freezing over there. 
and at, during the night. What more would you want when you're traveling as a mass of people at night and it's cold than a pillar of fire to keep you warm? God wasn't only caring for where the direction was, but sustaining them through it. How about during the daytime? You're in the desert. It's 40 plus degrees, real hot. What more would you want than a cloud blocking out the sun so that you were able to travel and be sustained through your journey? It seems, though, that the Israelites... Um, they, they weren't counting their blessings much. They weren't counting their blessings as much as they were focusing on the things that they didn't have. Right? With all of these miraculous signs, we see a continuous pattern from the Israelites that um, whenever they are met with a challenge, they instantly forget everything that God has done they forget God's promises for them, and they, um, they lose sight of his authority, they lose sight of all that, and they panic, and they wish to return to Egypt. And they want to return to the slavery, and they want to return to their abuser. Exodus chapter 14, uh, verses 10 to 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, so they've reached the Red Sea. Pharaoh's changed his mind. He decided, I made a mistake. I should never have let these Israelites go. Then he goes to pursue them. When, Pharaoh, when, uh, when Pharaoh drew near the Red Sea, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die out here in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It is not, uh, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Right? They're met with a challenge and immediately they seek to return to their situation even though that now they have freedom. They just, it just may not look exactly right now like they imagined it would, you know? Oftentimes when you're traveling from, you know, Jesus, you need to be freed, and your freedom's over here, there's this period of time here where it may not look exactly like you think it would. But that doesn't mean that God's promise has changed for you. One of the things that God did as soon as he freed him from Israel, he, uh, from, sorry, freedom from Egypt, he actually led them in a direction that was not towards the promised land, right? Imagine Egypt is here, promised land is over here. God starts leading them this way. Not because he's a liar, but because there's something of greater importance than the promise that the Israelites need more, that the Israelites need first. At this point here, Israel, uh, Israel is pinched between the Red Sea on this side and Pharaoh's army on this side. And they can't see a way out. Their situation is, is just hopeless. What are they going to do, right? Pharaoh marches in with his chariots and his horses, and you've got a bunch of, you know, probably cattle and, I don't know, what, what else, mules and... It's not really, you know, the same. 
They can't see a way out. And immediately they forget, even as it says, even as the pillar of fire is before them in that moment, in their state of panic, immediately they forget. They lose sight of God's authority. And they lose sight of the promise, right? And that, that is not just for the Israelites. When you panic, you lose sight um, of everything else but your panic. It says that the Israelites feared greatly. You know what fear does? Fear paints a picture of your future without God in it. It does not feel good. Whereas faith does, it paints that same picture but has like a but God underlined. Feels a lot better. I was, uh, it was like December 28th, something, 27th, whatever. I'm going downstairs to change our laundry, because I do my own laundry, okay? And I go downstairs to change my laundry, and uh, I look over to the basement, and there's like three inches of water all over the basement. And I thrust in this moment into a state of panic. I didn't know what to do, so I went and grabbed a tote and towels, and I rang 30 gallons of water out in towels to, to dump it in the yard, and it was still coming in. But once, I got, once we got the water low enough, we could see in the seam between the wall and the floor of the foundation, there's, it's fountaining in, right? And, and I'm panicked, and in my moment of panic, I think, I don't know, if it's, it's, not, it's not rational, you're not being rational when you're panicked. I was like, I'm going to lose the house. I got tenants in the basement just on the other side of a wall. You know, I've got, um, I was like, there's no way I'm, you know, going to be able to keep them. So I'm going to lose that income. And then I'm going to have to move out. And then I'm not going to be able to sell the house because the basement's flooded. And I was just, I was so you know you do dumb things when you panic? I was taking pieces of styrofoam, and I was trying to shove them in the hole, and it did nothing, but, you know. And uh, so finally, I took a breath, and uh, we just, I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go to Mitchell's, and they'll give me something that's going to help. And uh, anyway, at that time, my good friend Jake called me, and he came over, and we installed the sump pit first time ever. So um, anyway, in your state of panic, you lose sight of all of the possibilities, all of the things that you, you, your problem becomes bigger than it is. Now, for them, when you've got an army after you and the sea on the other side, it does seem like a pretty big problem. But even though they saw miraculous signs like you and I probably will never see, even though they had that experience, they forgot. They lost sight of God's authority. They lost sight of his promise. They lost sight of the miracles. And as we know, um, God parts the Red Sea. The pillar of fire actually goes in between the Israelites and the Egyptians. It holds the Egyptians off until they have time to cross the sea. And um, I think that, that, you know, Moses was having a different experience with God than the Israelites were. It was more intimate, right? Because God was talking to Moses and so his faith was bolstered up. And we don't see Moses panicking in this situation, even though he sees physically the same thing that they do. And I think it was um, with that, I think that's why God would have picked him. Because he knew that that's what his attitude would be. Going through 
this liberation of the Israelites. And Moses, in that moment, hears from God. In the moment of challenge, he, he listens, and God tells him what to do, and then he goes in and does it, provides a way out. What I want you to get is that you have moments of panic, too. You have challenges that come your way that seem to knock you off that, so that you forget all the things that God has done in your life. You know, we always, Kristen and I, we do this, and we try to tell other people to do it, and uh, we're not perfect at it, but we'll write down a lot of the things that God has done for us simply so that we can look back at those things when the challenges come again, because we know that they will, and it changes your attitude during that time. You think, God, I know you will provide for me here. I know you're faithful. You've been faithful. Did you know that every one of you here has a 100% track record of making it through bad days, right? You got to write down how God provided for you during those bad days and remind yourself, right? Even with communion, every time you eat and drink, remind yourself that Christ died for you, right? And so remind yourself of how he provided for you. This is the point I want you to get here. Your awareness in situations, your awareness of God's authority will determine what you receive from him, right? In other words, if I don't believe that God gets the last say in everything, if I don't believe that God is the ultimate and real authority, I will doubt the validity of his word. He gives you a promise. He says, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to take care of you. I lead you beside, you know, green pastures and streams of water. I have that verse later on. We'll get to it, right? But there is a promised land for you. I am for you, you know? And, um, and then the challenge comes. And if you don't have an awareness of God's authority, you'll doubt that that was true when he said it, Right? That's what the serpent did in uh, the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Doubting the validity of his word. Um, When the kids were younger, they used to think that I was the ultimate authority. (laughs) That I always had the last say with any situation around me. That period of time did not last long. They've already outgrown it. Okay, but there was a time, specifically for Presley, she would have what, a nightmare or just uh, a, you know, intrusive, scary thought, you know, and, or something scary would happen and she'd be nervous about something. She'd come running to me and explain to me what she's scared or nervous about. And I'd put her on my lap, and you know, it usually only took her like 10 seconds to explain it. And then I'd, be, I'd look and be like, look at me, Presley. Like, look at me in my eyes. She'd look at me and I'd be like, listen, it's going to be okay. And then she would be like, and she would sometimes come to me in tears. And then after I say that, she'd be like, oh, all right. That's great, you know? What was I worried about? You know, like, and I thought in those moments, like, she was, like, completely fixed. She wasn't scared anymore. She wasn't nervous. And I thought, I'm really good at this parenting thing. But it was also convicting at the same time because, I, you know, what if I did that to God? What if I went to him, you know, when I, with my fears and he was just like, hey, hey, you, I can't give you the explanation because you're not going to understand it. But right? like Presley wouldn't have understood why it's going to be okay. But it's going to be okay. 
And what if you're just like, oh, whew, I'm glad you said so, because I was worried, but, you know, that's how I want to be in my relationship with God. Gratitude is the other thing I, I said we'd talk about. It helps you not to lose sight, right? When you write down all the ways that God has provided for you in your life, you will feel gratitude. And so when the challenges come, they don't feel the same. I don't think that a majority of the Israelites were not super grateful for the cloud and for the pillar of fire and the things that they'd been led with. Even after, even after they part the Red Sea, even after that, they still maintained this pattern of every time they're met with a challenge, they lose sight. Exodus chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 3, and they set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, so it had been a while, um, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Their attitude was of grumbling when the challenge is met, rather than he's done something before, he'll do something again. I've had, there, there was a time, uh, I'm still learning this, but there was a time where I was learning it even more, right? Where bad things would happen, I would panic and, you know, like it would really affect me and I would be grumpy and maybe take it out on my family because you always take it out on those closest to you. And then God would provide and I would feel like an idiot. You know, I'd be like, of course you did. Of course you came through. I was almost upset. I was like, I'm not validated now in the way I was behaving. And, uh, and I did that enough times that one time I just decided I'm not going to do that and I'm going to wait for him to provide. And uh, one time we weren't going to make a mortgage payment because we, you know, just started here and things were tight. And uh, miraculously, someone sent me an e-transfer for the exact amount. And at that time, I, I, um, I was like, I knew you would do this, you know? I chose not to panic and I don't feel like an idiot now. This is how I want to live. I want to go through life like this. And, um, and so, anyway, um, the whole congregation began to grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full till we were filled. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly of hunger. The challenge that they're met with is hunger. And in this challenge, they just assume that, okay, well, this is the time now. This is when God is, is choosing to abandon us. This is when we're, we're just like, woo, I wish I could go back to Egypt, you know, because I had food there at least, forgetting how bad it was, forgetting that there's a reason you needed to be, uh, to be freed from that. If you, if you read on, um, oh, well, here we go. Well, let's read on. Exodus 16, going to verse 12. Um, I have heard the grumbling of the people Israel, 
Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God is pursuing them. Even in their complaints, he's giving them what they're complaining about. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is something that kept on happening, okay? They every day got bread. Every day they got quail coming in, miraculous miracles coming in, but still they won't shed their attitude, their grumbling attitude. You read on in the story, eventually they're actually complaining. They're like, isn't there something different on the menu? I'm so tired of this bread, you know? (laughs) Even though it's like just there, miraculously, no grocery bill, right? They're being provided for. But every time they run into um, this, they want to go back to Egypt. Exodus 17. Have I been talking for 37 minutes? Okay. I'm going to wrap this up. You guys ready? Exodus 17. Um, And the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped out at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock of thirst? Every time they're met with a challenge, they want to go back to Egypt. Moses cried out to the Lord. This is uh, following on in verse 4. What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff in which you've struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you at the rock uh, uh, on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders, and miraculously they were provided water. But this isn't even the last time. I'm not going in through anymore, because we would be here all day. But this is the last time that we see, and they didn't still shed their attitude. They weren't counting their blessings, but rather focusing more on the things that they don't have. That's not a great way to go through this relationship with God. You know what you have? You have God's goodness. You have God's faithfulness. God is for you, the creator of all of this, the universe, everything cares about you. He's for you. He cares about the things that you care about. That's incredible. You know, like if God came down one time in all of our lives and gave us one assignment, like if he came to me and he's like, hey, oh, you go be a pastor. Uh, okay. And then that was the only time I ever talked to him. That would be a miracle. That would be insane for how great he is and how low I am for him to come and even engage a little bit with me. But he gives us so much more than that. 
He is for you. They're forgetting. Oh, he's not leading them to the promised land right away because there's something he needs to take care of first. And you will follow in the story is that he takes them to Mount Sinai, right, away from the promised land because first he needs to meet with them. Okay, because it's more important to know the blesser than it is to know the blessing. Right? It's more important to be intimate with the source than to be chasing the streams. Because the streams change all the time, but if you know your source, you're okay. That, that doesn't cause you to panic. If each one of you really knew God's authority, and if I really knew God's authority, and we really knew that he was our source, and we all lost our jobs tomorrow and all of our sources of income, it's okay. Our source hasn't changed. Just the stream is. It dries up here, it'll pop up over there. Right? The wilderness finds us, and God meets us there. Because he needed the Israelites' heart before he could give them the blessing and the promise. The challenge of the wilderness here, this is something else. If you're writing anything down, write this down. The challenge of the wilderness is to not sacrifice your peace because chaos is familiar. Not to sacrifice the freedom you have because Egypt is more familiar, right? Not to sacrifice your freedom because slavery is more familiar. Longing for the way that it was because you know it better, even though the way that it was is worse. We all come across that in our life. The Israelites couldn't conceive the things that God would do and they would give up hope. They wouldn't remember what he did. Note in your own life the things that God has done for you already where he has provided, right? And where, so that you know that he will provide. Um, In the story of the relationship here between Israel and God, it's messy. And the wilderness is messy. Your wilderness is messy. When you're in a period of hardship and it's just kind of unrelenting, that's messy. But God understood their fears, even though he knew the way out. He loved them, even when they turned their backs on him. He showed up for them again and again and again, even though they grumbled. God is not afraid of your situation. As you follow God in his provision, he isn't scared. He knows what's going to happen, and he's not shaking his head at you if your attitude is bad, right? He is still for you. We have the goodness of God, we have God's mercy, and we have God's provision. Worship team, finally, I'll call you back up. What would your year be like if you weren't afraid, if you were able to embody gratitude, Completely. The goodness that you have because of Jesus Christ, right? The things that you have already because of God's goodness. And what if you were to trust fully the things that God has for you? In your times of wilderness, I guarantee God's trying to meet with you. He's got something for you there. You know, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Wilderness doesn't feel good, but he led him there. Like that was part of the journey. Right? It's like, okay, this isn't going to feel good, but it's important. We need to go there. Right? If the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, he's going to lead all of us there too. You know? And, uh, and he's got something for you there. 
right? God meets with the Israelites in the wilderness before going to the promised land. It ends up taking them 40 years to get there. They wasn't supposed to. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But they got to their promised land, and uh, they saw giants in the land. And they were afraid. And the, the, some of them said, no, let's go, right? Let's go, let's take it. God is with us. So obviously they were there through this whole time. It wasn't the 100% of the Israelites that, you know, were grumbling like this, but it was a majority. And, uh, and, and so they said, no, let's take it. But the majority of them were scared. They gave into their fear, right? They were, again, forgetting everything that God had done for them. And so you know what? Instead of taking a few months to walk into the promised land, now it was going to take 40 years. You know why it was going to take 40 years? It's pretty harsh. But God was waiting for the people that were scared to die off so that he could take the rest of them in, right? The next generation he took in, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I want to experience God's promises for my life and not just see them come to fruition in my kid's life, right? I don't want to miss out because I've given in to fear. I haven't been grateful and I haven't trusted. Okay, I'm going to read Psalm 23 and then uh, we're going to worship some more. Psalm 23. This is, this is uh, my prayer for you guys, for me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The things that God did for Israel were for his name's sake. They were his people. He was for them. We are his people. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your pursuit of us, your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your faithfulness and that we just have access to you, Lord God. Let us not lose that. Let us always be in tune to those things, Lord Jesus, and, and um, give us the strength we need to throw off everything that hinders. I pray for everybody here, Lord Jesus, that you speak to their hearts, to speak to their minds and their souls. In Jesus' name.